Hello, and welcome to the Tai Chi Notebook Podcast. My name is Graham Barlow, and I've been practicing Tai Chi and Shingi for over 25 years now. I've also got a first degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. This time, I'm joined by a friend of mine from Beijing, China. Byron Jacobs is a teacher of Shingi and Bagua, as well as being a BJJ practitioner and competitor. He's a student of the famous Digo Young, and is heavily involved in the martial arts scene in Beijing. Byron runs his own podcast, The Drunken Boxing Podcast, as well as offering online tuition in martial arts through his online learning platform. See the show notes for details. In this wide-ranging discussion, we talk about training Shingi, Bagua, and whether Wuxi will ever be in the Olympics. We also find out what it's like to train martial arts in Beijing during the coronavirus pandemic, and what the Chinese BJJ and MMA scene is like. So, let's get deeper under the skin of Beijing martial arts and find out what's really going on. Hi Byron, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm not bad. I have trained jiu-jitsu already today, so I'm feeling quite energetic and... Uh, Good. Um, in fact, every time I do a podcast, it's normally I've just trained jiu-jitsu, so I don't know what that's about. Are you training in the mornings or teaching in the mornings or what, what's going on there? Yeah, so um, so my teacher goes back back home, although actually he's from he's from England, but he's kind of Italian, and he goes back to Italy for a a for all of August ah. and get gets the senior people to help him out teaching classes. So I've been doing morning classes. Okay. Um, which has been good. Really enjoy it. Like I, teaching. I prefer training in the morning. I just feel like, you know, get it done in the morning and, you know, the rest of the day is ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, do, I do find though that I then need a little sleep sometime in the afternoon, but <laughs> that's probably uh, just my age. Okay. Who, who is your teacher? He's He lives it between Italy and where you are now, or he just goes back oh, so to So he summer. lives in, in Bath in the UK. Um, he's called Salvatore Pace. Or okay. Pace. Is that how it's spelled? But um, he, um, you know, he, he's Italian and he has, still has family in Italy. So he kind of goes to stay with them every okay. August. Well, I would too. Nice. <laughs> I, think, I think summer in Italy must be nice. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, um, Sicily, in fact. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, proper old school Sicilian. Yeah, I've been there many times. I've been to, to Sicily, to Catania many times. So yeah, yeah, good food down yeah. there. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, however, are in Beijing. Yes. Which, how how's the weather there today? Uh, hot. I mean, it's it's usually like it, we're, technically we're just entering autumn now. Technically, you know, but it's like the ass end of summer, and the ass end of summer is. You know, it's still really hot and humid. It just, it's muggy. It's like sticky and hot and uncomfortable. So that's mm. just how it is. That's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, my friend Damon uh, tells me all stories about training in Beijing in the summer and how hot it was and taking big cartons of water with you basically and just stopping every 20 minutes to down an entire one because, because it was just so unbearable. Look, you get used to it to a degree. I don't drink while I train. While, even though we're training outside, I don't drink while I train. It's just something I've, I've kind of given myself a, a strong habit. I don't drink while I'm training. But um, wow. you, you do take like three t-shirts because you will sweat through them. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, that's usually so my what, thing. So, um, so talking about training. So you're, you're training in 
all sorts of things at the moment. Uh, but you've got this sort of background in traditional Chinese arts, and mm. you've you've been doing some of the more modern things like um, jujitsu. So, do you want to just give us an overview of everything that you're 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 doing at the moment? Well, at the moment, I mean, what my staples are as as has has been for the ma- like the majority of my life has been Chinese martial arts. So, um, I would say that the core of of what I practice is is Xing Yichuan. And that's the same as my teacher's core. I mean, my, my teacher, although he's known for Xingyi and Bagua, his core has always been Xingyi. Xingyi was what he did uh, mm-hmm. with his first teacher and what he did from a younger age. Um, and and so a lot of his uh, base and core is Xingyi. And then, of course, when he was a bit older, he started to train with uh, Li Ziming and did Liang-style Bagua. So when I started training with him, which is, well, it's over a decade now. So, um, you know, I had already been doing other Chinese martial arts before that I'd done some chi- traditional Chinese martial arts and then moved into sports, you know, the sports, sports stuff of, of Chinese wushu and, and Sanda. It was just, you know, I was young and I was, uh, you know, appealing at that, at that point. But then in, you know, at, at about, I would say my mid twenties, I just wanted to focus on traditional, uh, traditional Chinese martial arts. And I'd always been drawn to Xin Yichuan. So, you know, I, I, I sought my teacher out to specifically do Xingyi with him, but I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna dictate to him. You know what I mean? It was like how you want to teach and what what sequence you want to teach me is is up to you. But it just so goes that he 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 makes the foundation very much Xingyi train and will teach Bagua on top of it. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean like there are people that would come in and train with him from overseas specifically because they wanted to do Bagua and he's not gonna say no. But for me, I really, I really wanted to follow the same process he went through, and um, I also found from my experience, and you know, some people might get upset with what I'm about to say. I found that, you know, if you if you do, and I've seen it, unfortunately, if you go directly to Bagua without any any martial basis, it's it's a lot harder for people to develop uh, the engine that drives the body work and the power mm. and the and the movements. So. I found from what I've seen as well with myself that the Bagua came a lot easier because of my basis in, in Xingyi. So that's always been the core of my, of my training. And yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what, um, what Damon always says to me about, he says, just, just think of Bagua as advanced Xingyi. So like, you want to do Xingyi first and then, then you've got the, the engine going and then you can do the complicated stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that's also kind of in line with how Dong Haichuan taught his his students anyway. Most of them yeah. had some basis in, in something. They were already proficient in some martial arts. So it wasn't like he was trying to teach them basic motor skills, you know. Um, they already mm. had, a, had a, a good foundational basis in that. So it was just focusing on other things. And I've seen it as well. I mean, like, like I said, I've seen guys and people that came in and had no, no martial arts basis and they just did Bagua because that was what interested them. And... You know, frankly speaking, I never, f- I never saw them develop the whole body power that is required for both of these arts. You know, some people, yeah. uh, f- some people don't want to admit that uh, Xingyi and Bagua are more similar than than they than they actually are. But they are quite similar in terms of those aspects of body mechanics and whole body power. It's just other aspects that they're quite different. But in general, the the core mm. is very similar. Yeah. So that's the the ba- like the basis of your martial art is is the shingi. Yeah. Um, what was and your teacher's um, name again? My shingi teacher, Di Guoyong. Yeah. Di Guoyong. Di Guoyong. Yeah. Yeah. 
So his teacher was Zhao Zhong. Uh, Zhao Zhong was uh, Liu Huapu's student. Liu Huapu was Shang Shang Yunchang's student. So it's classified as Shang style Xing Yiquan. So Hebei Shang style Xing Yiquan. But I mean, I don't run yeah. around trying to say Shang style Xing Yiquan. It's just if I'm going to classify it, it's Hebei Xing Yi. So yeah, uh, yeah, that that's basically what it is. And um, he also studied. Uh, uh, he studied actually with Wu Binlo as well, who was a good friend of his teacher. But you know, much later on, Wu Binlo was uh, quite a well-known Chuo Fanzi teacher here in Beijing, um, probably the most well-known of of the last hundred years. And he and my teacher wanted to learn a little bit of the the Chuo not so much the Fanzi, but it's a combined uh, system. Chuo Fanzi is has got Chuo sets and Fanzi sets. It's quite a big. Uh, a big system, but my teacher wanted to learn more of the chuo jiao because of the intricate uh, footwork, the kicking, etc. Yes, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It's got a reputation for kicks. Yeah, so he did that too, and then later on, he he focused on bagua with Li Ziming, and he was one of his. Uh, yeah. He was in his first group of uh, disciples. So, yeah, so it's an interesting background. Um, I didn't, I didn't study any of my teachers' chuo jiao because I had a background in long fist. So I had been kicking and doing all that stuff for since I was a kid, um, and and I just, just not something that appealed to me. I just wanted to do xing yi and bagua in any case. So. And you actually, you, you've now started offering some online instruction as well, haven't you? In, in yeah, yeah, I started to put together an online uh, learning program. So kind of something that. Uh, anybody could could study from so there's there's a library of videos and um, each video obviously has a specific topic the way i'm presenting it though and moving through with it is it sequentially so um you know you can you can follow the sequence and you'll see it's a progressive a progressive manner that things are being presented but once once you're in the system you have access to everything so you know it's um it's also useful for people that already study because they could go back and look at look at whatever and and add it on. Some of the stuff are more advanced, some of the stuff are are basic. But um, the idea is to get people if they follow it sequentially that they'll they'll be able to develop through the system as is as you should be if you were training in person as much as possible through the format. You know. So. Yeah. 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 You've put a few free instructionals out as well, haven't you? And I've always been really impressed with the sort of the quality of your video production as well, as well as the quality of the martial arts you're teaching. But um, it just looks really nice. You know, you've, you've got really good editing. Um, you know, you've spent a lot, you've obviously thought about everything and you've spent a lot of time on angles and repetitions and uh, all the details you'd need if you actually wanted to learn it, which is nice. Well, I mean, I, I can honestly say, and, you know, it's going to sound... Maybe some people think I'm just trying to blow hot air up my teacher's ass, but a lot of his teaching method is very, very, uh, it's very refined in terms of theory. He explains things very well because he sat and thought about these problems for a long time. And it's something that I, I kind of picked up from him, but also because of my work. I was actually a technical um, manager for the International Wushu Federation. My job was writing teaching materials, teaching uh, doing things right. like that, writing rule books. You know, if you're writing sports rules, they have to be, they're almost legal jargon to a degree. They have to be put in that, in that format that, you know, they're almost legal. And, and all of those mm. things kind of, kind of influenced the way that I put together teaching materials because I always had the same issues. I always had problems with, with 
stuff that you'd see, whether it be from international federations or private individuals presenting, whether it's teaching materials, written or video, that I, you know, I was, I would, would always run into problems with, with learning, like from an angle, from an explanation, from the language being used. So looking at those and, and re remembering the problems and the questions that I had would help me formulate things mm. that I would do better. So yeah, there's, there's that. My teacher has a, I mean, I remember the first day I went to train with him and I arrived there with my, you know, training shirt and a bag and a little towel and you know, my, my training shoes and an extra t-shirt. And he looks at me and he says, would you have a pen? And I was like, um, no, I thought, <laughs> he says, do you have a pen and a notebook? I said, no, he said, next time bring a pen and a notebook with you. And he's pretty, <laughs> he's pretty pedantic about that. He's like, he'll explain something to you, but he expects you to write it down. And, um, yeah. and I said to him, no, no, don't worry. I'll remember it. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember the pen remembers better than your brain. And that, that's a habit that, uh, I picked, <laughs> I picked up from him too. So writing things out, the act of writing it out, I found actually cements it in your brain. So actually the, yeah, it's not so much that you're going to go back and look at it, although you probably have use for that too, but the act of actually writing it down makes you think about how to word it, which makes you understand it better, which cements it in your brain. So that's, mm, uh, it's, it's true. My, my teacher at school always told me that as well. Um, just made us copy things out. And I, I'd kind of go, well, why are we just copying it out? We could just read it. Yeah, but yeah. the actual act of writing it somehow makes you remember it. Yes. And, and also, even when you, you go back years later and I read stuff, my training notes I've written, as I read them, I remember the actual moment of training. You know, yes. it kind of comes back as a memory, which so it's it's essentially sort of laying little little traps that will fire off those memories again years yeah. down the line. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, when I look back at the notes I have in my various training manuals, I actually remember the day. Sometimes I'll remember mm. I'll remember even little things like what we were wearing or the season or what we did afterwards. You know, kind of all these memories come flying back just from reading what you wrote yeah. on, on that day so. yeah so it is useful in you know even if it's not the way you think it's useful it's just useful in a different way yeah yeah completely completely so all of those things and plus my work background kind of ha i've got a specific way that I, I i make these videos and a specific way that i try to explain things and and i try my best to make it as clear and as precise as possible so that, that's what you're seeing there it's a result cool. of well, well i'll put all the the links to your various online outlets in the in the notes to the, to go with the podcast so thanks um so we don't have to start saying urls because ah. i always hate that in especially, especially <laughs> in youtube podcasts. addresses youtube addresses are almost <laughs> yeah. no one's gonna remember that oh, anyway talk, talk, talk about youtube you, you you you've got quite a few different outlets there as well haven't you? you've got um you've got uh mushin martial culture which is um you've also got your drunken boxing podcast you're all over the place well, it's all falls under the same YouTube channel, but it's a few different endeavors. So yeah, yeah you know, the, the, the idea with the YouTube channel was just to start putting, I think the first thing I started with was a 10 minute primer. I decided to make that Santisha 10 minute primer. Um, and it just kind of went from there. I thought, okay, let me put out some stuff when I have time to restore. I had a bunch of uh, footage from my teacher that he had that I restored like this, the first series that I did was this, it's called Jingcheng Wushu, which means Beijing's Wushu. And it was like uh, quite an old short series on Beijing TV here where they uh, featured a, a few different teachers. Most of them are dead now. Mm. 
So I restored that and put subtitles in it, and then I just kind of decided to go from there. I thought, oh, well, if I have the time, I might as well do some other things, you know, uh, restore subtitles, some stuff, make my own stuff, and uh, go make some new stuff, go film some of the, the the guys that are still around if, if you know, if I have time. So I started doing that. And the, the podcast just kind of came out spontaneously, you know. Um, uh, Marin was in Beijing at some point we had been in contact and the idea came well you know what i want to sit down and talk to this guy um but maybe it's a good mm-hmm. idea to maybe it's a good idea to record it and um i wanted it to be casual like two guys drinking uh, having a drink and having a chat you know so that's where the idea for the drunken boxing podcast came so yeah yeah i mean we can't really do this with a beer because it's it's 11 o'clock my time and <laughs> afternoon your time i don't know <laughs> I you need, it's you, a problem you need... isn't it no, you need to come train with us in Beijing because Baijiu at 11 a.m. is also a thing here. So, um, no, there's, How is no it? <laughs> <laughs> there's no problem drinking in the middle of the day. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's, you know, well, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once you start that, where do you stop? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the initial idea with the podcast is I wanted to do it in person always because, you know, you always people feel a little bit more, I don't know, personal when they're sitting in front mm. of you and talking and a bit more relaxed and and that was the vibe but you know then we had corona so that was the end of that um yeah so, exactly this everything's changed doesn't it after the yeah. epidemic yeah so i usually you were re- sort of in china you were in china for the actual you know oh, yeah. the outbreak weren't you yeah 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 it was actually quite weird that whole um it was just before chinese new year actually so chinese mm. new year is a, is a quiet period in beijing anyway uh, the reason being is there's, being Beijing, a lot of people that are here for work, they're not originally from Beijing. So you've got two 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 kinds of exoduses that occur over Chinese New Year here in Beijing. It's the people that are migrant, that don't live here and they're working here. Well, they do live here, but they're not from here. They go home. And then a lot of the people that do live here go travel. So if there's an excuse to go or a time to go, they'll go over Chinese New Year. Um, so Beijing is for me in, in Chinese New Year it's my favorite time of the of the year because you know the subways aren't crowded mm. it's quiet you know it's, it's just peaceful but that that was just before Chinese New Year and um, it was pretty sudden that there was this you know virus and and then suddenly boom everything was like okay uh, restrictions you know we're closing this yeah we're... because you locked down like way before everyone else over here did didn't you yeah i mean i remember going downstairs from my apartment building the one day and seeing them starting to erect like cages around the roads in my in my um in my residential area and i was like you know you start to panic because you feel like you're going to be imprisoned but you know it's 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 not really about being imprisoned it's about having one access point and and uh yeah you know know, controlling that's way that's way more controlling than than what we had over here and everyone over here freaked out about having to stay indoors for mm. you know a few a few weeks worth but at least they weren't building cages in the street <laughs> well you can't you can't go into like even you couldn't at that point like there's a residential they cordoned off the area that i live in which is a very big residential area they they sectioned it off obviously and then there was one access point for this area one access point so there's one across the street from me like um, and that's a separate residential area and I couldn't go in there and they couldn't come into mine. So you can either mm. go into where you live, uh, go out to the supermarkets, etc., 
and you, you couldn't go into other people's residential areas. So they, pre they were pretty clear on, on how they managed this, which in some senses, I think, I think it was a good thing. I think it needed to be done. So, you know, um, through this, they know who's been in and out of an area. If somebody tests positive, they've got it quite well controlled that they can just close off an area and then test everyone, you know, without having to try mm. fi try figure out the the million people that have gone in, into that area and things like that. So it's it's in that sense, I think it does work. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so how did that how did that affect your training? I was still training in my in within my uh, closed off neighborhood, so I've got a spot at the back that uh, I usually go and train at, and I just carried on. So, but but no training with the with teacher and no. other students and all that kind of no, stuff. No, no, yeah. no, not until they eased the restrictions and then um, allowed people to be from outside areas to to come in, which was much more recent, like uh, towards the mm -hmm. end of last year. You know, they eased it a little bit. So yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, you're also quite active in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. That that was quite an interesting... I mean, I can give a... I don't know if I've spoken about this before. It was probably around seven years ago, going on to seven years ago. I had a couple of friends that were expats here in Beijing, and a couple of them were doing... Mm. Uh, they were doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the time. And of course, you know, Xingyi and Bagua that I was training, Bagua has a lot of uh, takedowns and, uh, you know, what you'd consider wrestling. Um, but, you know, it's, mm. uh, the, and, I, and, you know, it's one thing to train with your, your martial arts brothers and you know each other. And it's another thing to go outside of your style and, and try it on people that are from a different style <laughs> that, you know, that you don't yes. So that was my ori yeah, original, yeah. <laughs> my, yeah, that was my original intention to go and play with him. Yeah, so you want to go almost, almost does this work if I do it with other people that aren't, yeah. you know, part of the scene I'm in. And also, um, and also, and how did you find it? Well, I mean, also, I wanted to understand their methods because, I mean, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is renowned for having skill on the floor. So I wanted to taste it, you know, it's mm. the, on, the only way you're going to know something is if you t taste it, right? So, and then, yeah, and, yeah. And to be pre to be better prepared myself in those situations, but and at that time, I could only I mean seven years ago I don't think there was a huge amount of teachers here at that time, and I found uh, a, a guy called Chet Quint. Chet Quint was originally from the USA. Um, in fact, he was mm -hmm. the first the first black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to come into China and teach, and uh, that was. Oh, he had been here already at that point for over 10 years. And uh, I think initially, I don't know if you if you had listened to that podcast that I did with a guy called Andy, Andy P, who did, um, he started The Art of War. Uh, like yes, MMA. yeah, I listened to that one, yeah. And he fought Xu Xiaodong when Xu Xiaodong was still a, a Sanda athlete. Andy P was actually probably, I think you could consider him the first guy to come to China and teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he was at that time a blue a blue belt when he came from California to to China, mm. and uh, Chet was actually contacted and brought in by by Andy to come and teach. So there was uh, that was the the beginning way back then. Uh, anyway, long story short, I found Chet. Chet is very is a very competent older school you know jujitsu, uh, Gracie lineage. He was a Pedro Sauer black belt. So 
He was very right. much, yeah, he was very much, um, I mean, he trained with Hickson. Hickson gave him his black belt, if I recall correctly. And, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so his, his outlook and his way of teaching was very much focused on do not get yourself killed first. You know, that's basically his, yeah, his, yeah. his methodology. And um, it was very, and I found his classes very interesting from that point of view because he was not just, you know, teaching people to be competitive. He was teaching people to not get killed. Um, I mean, there were classes where you'd just arrive and he'd be like, all right, you on the bottom, you on the top, you on top, put on gloves, punch him, you on the bottom, try and make your jujitsu work while he's punching you in the face. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I just old school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very old school. And I just, I really enjoyed him, the people there and his methodology. And, um, for, for, and you know, I, I felt that there was a lot of benefit to learning that dimension because it's a dimension that is missing from Chinese martial arts, which is the floor work. We can we mm. can praise our styles for what value and what beauty they have, um, and they all have their differing strengths and weaknesses. But Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu's strength is on the floor, and it's a weakness in in a lot of the other, specifically Chinese martial arts. So uh, I found mm. that that hole was a hole I wanted to to fill, and uh, I haven't stopped since. So I was doing I do that between three to four times a week. Um, and on top of my other training, so and I find they they work very well together. There's no there's no clash there, you know. Uh, yes, no they're not, they're not competing in the same area, are they? So no. you've still got the the stand up, you know, area is still the the Chinese arts, and then you know things are on the floor. Exactly. And you've got the Brazilian stuff to back it up, haven't you? Exactly, exactly. So they 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 and also there's a transition between the two. For example, with Bagua's. Uh, locks and takedowns. Shingi has uh, certain locks and, and, and rudimentary takedowns too. And you could go from one to the other without there being any conflict there. They they work very well. So, mm. yeah. So, what was your experience like then when you... Um, well, when you, when you kind of got further into jiu-jitsu and, you know... I mean, everyone has this experience when they start. They, they eventually roll yeah. with somebody, normally a black belt, who, who just sort of renders them helpless <laughs> i i i mean I, I i i was pretty much rendered helpless by a blue belt when i started and i just thought wow i've got to learn this this is just amazing yeah did you have one of those sort of moments as well um honestly the the first day i went there 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 were a couple of blue belts one purple belt and i had a i didn't have such a tough time with a couple of the blue belts in fact i mean you know, uh, from the takedown point of view, I think they were surprised because, and this is just purely from the other styles that I did, and and I don't yeah, think they knew yeah. they knew I had a background in in the things that I had a background in. So a lot of them were surprised. But then when I rolled with Chet, uh, it was you know you kind of see your life flash before your eyes. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you have one of those epiphanies, don't you? Where and he's where not a small. Yeah, he's not a small yeah. guy. He's not a small guy. He's an ex-policeman. His work, his job was in security. That's the work that he did here too. His job was in security. Um, so he he very quickly showed me another side of things, and I was like, okay, yeah, I really want to learn this. So yeah, 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 it was, yeah. It was good. It was good. And then and, and me, he's gone got, now. You know, I mean, it, you know, it becomes addictive, though, doesn't it? That, yeah, that you get this sort of buzz off jujitsu that. Um, very, sure. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it really, but it becomes very addictive, um, and you kind of like, you know, you, 
when you when you haven't gone to train that day, you're sort of sitting at home tapping your fingers, thinking, oh, "I want to go and train. I want to go and train." Right. And then, of course, over the over the pandemic, presumably you couldn't train at all in jujitsu. On the record, no, we couldn't. Off the record, we were training. I mean, we would go like a few of us yeah. that that were in Beijing hadn't left Beijing, were staying at home in our residential areas. You know, we weren't like running around. Um, we were people that were secure, had been here for a long time, and there was probably a handful of us, like nine of us or eight of us, and we'd go to the gym. There's a curtain. We'd put a bike lock on the door, so if you looked outside, you'd think the place was <laughs> the place was closed. And we start, We didn't start immediately, though. I mean, there was no way you could have started immediately. But I no, think no. I think it was around July last year that we just decided, okay, well, we're gonna train and and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of behind closed door stuff going on in Britain too. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's hardly a secret. Um, my friend in Poland actually the armed police turned up at their gym to try and evict them and they just locked the door until they went away. <laughs> well, see, well, that's the thing. Yeah? If, there's, if there's a lock on the door, what are they going to do, really? Are they going to break in? I mean, so... Yeah, exactly. They're not allowed to break in, but, you know, <laughs> I think they, they honestly it took them a couple of hours to go away, but they just waited them out. Yeah. yeah. Well, crazy, we did have one, things. we did have one day, I think it was maybe August, September last year that... Uh, the police came in and I, I was, I thought, okay, that's it guys. We're all going to jail. <laughs> We're all going to jail. And, and then it turns out, no, it wasn't the actual police for um, like public security or something like that. It was a division of the fire safety inspection. They came to do a fire safety inspection of the place. And I was like, Oh, oh okay. <laughs> thank, thank God. Yeah. Nothing, nothing happening here. Nothing to see. No, no. I was, I, we all, we all kind of, as they came in, we're kind of separated and we're doing jumping jacks with the, you know, safe, <laughs> exactly. safe distance between each other. So, yeah. Everyone switch to plan B immediately. Start yeah. exercising exactly. on your own. <laughs> exactly. We had this plan that, you know, if it, if they come in, we're just doing fitness, you know, we're not doing uh, something else. So, yeah. And we're having yeah, a bit exactly. of a spike now again. So we're hoping that they don't, um, they don't close everything up again for, for yeah. some time. Well, I mean, over here we've, we've, we've reopened. So everything's back to normal. Um, okay. And we had a spike, but it appears to be going down, and no one knows why. So hmm. that's a bit confusing. Everyone's everyone's utterly baffled as to why our numbers are going down. Well, maybe we just open everything up. Have you guys have all been vaccinated? Maybe your vaccination rate. Yeah, is yeah. We've, we've all been vaccinated, and the the kids are off school because it's some holidays. So yeah. that's probably a huge factor. Yeah. So um, I mean, we've got a similar situation here. A large portion of the people have been vaccinated. So. You know, a spike is just probably certain people and confirmed cases. I don't think there's like a serious sickness issue. It's just some people are getting sick. You know, it's not like people are mm. on the brink of death, you know. so Yeah, the vaccination definitely seems to keep the hospital numbers down, which is well, seems the, that main, the main thing. Um, but you were in a competition recently, weren't you? For, yeah. You introduce you? Yeah. How's and that well, I mean, it's I've been out of uh, competitive martial arts for more than, I'd say, 15 years. It was the last time I competed. And I used to compete mm -hmm. in, in, in both aspects. I mean, I used to do forms. I used to do fighting. and it was, it was interesting because the psychological side of things was, you know, it was like I knew what to expect. but And I'd been through it, so it never used to bug me before. But it did to a degree. So it's just like rust. I guess you could call it rust. Um, yeah, yeah. So 
I didn't do everything that I had had planned or, you know, certain things. I made a couple of mistakes that I should have. Overall, I did fine. I mean, I did pretty well. I, I'm, I'm not young, so I had to... Um, I was uh, in a, a division younger Master's than I should... Yeah, but even younger than I should have been because there just were no people at my rank at my age that were competing, so... Yeah, yeah I, I've had the, the same problem when I've competed. Uh, I had to go down two age rankings because there was nobody as old as me. <laughs> Yeah, so there was that, but that didn't really bug me because I mean I'm I'm training with young lunatics on a daily basis anyway. So, um, yeah, yeah. but but I I'll honestly say that I I enjoyed getting back into it. So I'm I'm gonna do it again when the opportunity comes along, simply because of the process of going and putting yourself through it. You know, it's not really the results that I'm really chasing. Exactly, yeah. So. Yeah, it makes you focus your efforts to one goal and you, you get a lot better by doing that. Well, also, it's different having the pressure of somebody who's in there who's actually trying to kill you, which I haven't had that feeling for a long time. So uh, people don't yeah. seem to understand this. Okay, they're not. The, you're not doing full-out MMA, but the guy is being extremely aggressive and forceful. So it's a yes, good... Yeah, and if he gets good... a chance to break something before you tap, he's not going to stop. That's the... Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's it's that that I I used to do, and it was a feeling that I used to I recalled when I went through it again. That you know, it kind of tempers you. So it's been a while, and I and I'm, 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 I'll do it when I can. If there's people that want to compete with me, and uh, yeah, we'll go we'll go through it again. No problem. Talking about competition, there's a there's a is it? Would you say there's a healthy MMA scene that's developed in China now? So you got the you had Zhang Weili, yeah, the first. UFC champion? Well, I mean, just taking a look at a couple... These things overlap. Jiu-Jitsu and MMA overlap here in China. Yeah. So there's been a huge burst. And that's why I was mentioning, when I first started training with Chet, it was very hard to find a gym. I, I think before the pandemic, I think there was something like 30 black belts from Brazil teaching here in, Brazil, in Beijing alone. So wow. it, it's been a huge explosion. And most of those gyms that they teach at are not just like a Jiu-Jitsu club, you know? They're usually mm. got, they'll have a guy from Thailand, they'll have an MMA teacher and a guy teaching grappling and there's people that are entering in MMA. So there's a huge explosion of people. That competition that I entered uh, a couple of months ago, if I recall, they said it was probably the biggest tournament China's ever held. There were over a thousand people competing. So, I mean... Oh, wow. That, that's, that's popular then, isn't it? That's It's very popular. I mean, it was, it's... It's becoming very popular here. And, of course, a lot of those guys overlap and they're cross-training and some of them are getting into uh, to MMA. So it's growing. And part, part of the reason is, and, and this, again, a lot of people don't know, is that the way sport runs in China is um, the Ministry of Sport allocates different sports to different, uh, you know, government bodies. And under the Chinese Wushu Association, certain other sports would fall under them. So, if I recall, there was Muay Thai used to fall under them, and uh, maybe a couple of other striking arts would fall under their jurisdiction. So, when MMA was trying to come into China, they had to go through the Chinese Wushu Association, and there mm. was just there was just no way that um, they 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 were going to support it. You know, and this is exactly how. It, what happened i think maybe 15 years ago i remember one of the old uh the, one of my old 
bosses to a degree in the, in the technical side of things from the Chinese Wushu Association. He told me he met with Dana White when Dana White came in and wanted to, to host the UFC here. And this was a long time ago. And he just flat out mm. said no. He just said no. Because you needed sanctioning. You know, you need, you need sanctioning. And he just flat out said no. So they were deliberately not wanting it to grow here. Of course, they had their own Sanda thing that they were trying to, to promote. I guess they saw it as... Uh, as something that might, uh, you know, disrupt that. But as mm. time goes on, you can't block the sun out, you know, in the end. <laughs> yeah. In the end, it just yeah. becomes tire- tiring. So it, it, it's started and it's growing um, from a commercial side. You, you know, a lot of Sunday athletes here, they're professional in the sense that, in the sense that they're taken and they're professionally trained as Sunday athletes to fight in provincial it's it's a there's a healthy sport I, I don't even think healthy is the right word I don't people don't understand that in the west we develop sport from a grassroots level up I mean it's usually yeah. it's usually kids go to school they get into hobbies they excel at those hobbies then they might go into a professional field here yeah, it's like always cricket would do that yeah, so here it's been it's always quite different. There's a a government incentive to develop a sport. They go out and scout people, and they have professional schools that are set up for that sport. And those kids are trained up as athletes um, from young. Mm. They do minimal amounts of, of school learning, and most of their time is spent training as athletes. And and Sanda was like that. And then they'll have provincial competition, a national competition. That that's their that's their cycle. That's what they're going through. They get They'll get a salary and 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 Sanda was like that too. But there comes a point when you're finished on the team, and then what? You know, um, there used there used to be a king of Sanda kind of uh, uh, tournament or league here in China. That's gone. It hasn't happened for a long time. So where are these guys gonna go? So MMA is always, you know, since the UFC and it's become an avenue that people have realized you can do a professional. You can have a professional circuit, uh, either domestically or growing into internationally, and you can you can make your money from that. So, it's given a lot of uh, opportunities. Firstly, to people that were Sanda athletes, but secondly, I think a lot of athletes are going directly into that now. Young people are going die. They're not going to go mm. through San- Sanda first and then, because if a Sanda guys like Zhang Weili and them, they have to start learning grappling and other skills that they don't actually focus on in their Sanda training. So. It's it's growing uh, from a financial point of view. It's also the main the main reason, but it's growing. Yeah. You've mentioned already that you were involved in the the Wushu Federation side of things. So, am I right in thinking that 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 was something you were involved with, but not anymore? So, that's. Uh, well, I'll give you a basic break uh, background on that. As I mentioned. <laughs> I, I, it might I start, be a long story. It might be. It might be. Let's see how it goes. It's a, it's a horse I've, 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 I've kicked to death. But anyway, um, I started with traditional Chinese martial arts as a teenager. And, and, and from then, um, I met a teacher who had connections and was teaching also competitive sport wushu. I mean, it was the era of Jet Li movies, like the first Once Upon a Time in China and all of those. And... And then the first little inklings of this this thing called, you know, Wushu as a sport and Jet Li was an athlete. So I wanted to learn and get involved in that. And there was a teacher and I started doing uh, basically 
the first generation of uh, competitive wushu uh, forms and things like that. I was that's the generation that I was I was learning, and it grew from there because I was training hard. I actually I moved into the school, so I moved into the school and and I was training every single day, and that that was what I wanted to really pursue. I wanted to just train martial arts. It's been something that I've done for all my life, but I, you know, it was something I really wanted to yeah. pursue wholeheartedly. And uh, I was, I was uh, training in these what you'd consider a high-level competitive format of wushu, but there was no one else. And there was, in in South Africa where I was, there was uh, no affiliation to the international body, so there was no opportunity to go and compete. So I I, I had started that as well while being an athlete i'd started moving into the direction of a form forming a national federation to start things getting connected with the international group so we could start competing and doing things like that both sandai and taudu mm. and uh and it grew from there so i was both an athlete and then i started learning you know as an athlete you learn the rules you got to learn how to how the the officiation works you know i became a judge in 2004 and uh, from there, I, I became a technical committee member after uh, being an international judge for quite a few years and getting some of the, you know, the results that I did in the examinations and judging at competitions. In 2011, I, I was appointed to the technical committee of the International Federation. Now, I had just moved to, to Beijing permanently roughly 2009, you know, um, hmm. so... I was still involved in, in judging at that point, but I had been living in China and training with my teacher for, you know, a few years already. And um, then they were trying to get, I don't know if you recall, there was the Olympic bid and uh, Wushu was shortlisted as one of the eight sports in, in around 2012. Uh, they were, they were going to cut, they were going to cut wrestling out, which was the, most insane thing yeah. I'd, I'd ever heard. I in remember my life. The, the fuss about that as well. Yeah. So they had eight, eight sports that were shortlisted for contention to become a new sport. And Wushu was one of them. And wrestling was also on the list to come back in. So it's kind of a no brainer what was going to happen there. But, but we went through yeah, the yeah. process. And I was, I was contacted at that point to be a technical representative for, for the International Wushu Federation at these at these presentations so all the technical side of things the judging side of things that was my job to deal with with the ioc and um and then they opened an office uh, in beijing a full-time office for the international federation Pre prior to that the chi the chinese wushu association the national federation here was basically the holder of the international federation's office so it was an international federation, but it was simply just the Chinese Wushu Association, you know, and and uh, a couple of years into like around 2013, 2014, the International Federation wanted to make an independent office here and they wanted a technical um, an event manager. So that was when I started working with them even more. Um, and, and, that, and, you know, I did my thing. I was both a technical committee member and international judge as well as their technical manager and uh, you know we did I, I don't want to get into the details of the Olympic bid everybody knows what happened wrestling got put back in that was kind of a no-brainer and um, I, you know I carried on focusing on on the development of of the International Wushu Federation's side of things trying to 
plug holes that had existed there for many years, technically and uh, event-wise. Uh, there was a so lot. They, um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just going to ask: are they, Have they given up trying to get Wushu into the Olympics now, or is it an ongoing sort of campaign? They can't say that they they give up. No, no federation can say, "Oh well, we're over that." Um, <laughs> yeah. Because that's the carrot they've got to hold in everybody's face, you know, and to say, oh, we're doing something, we're going to get into the Olympics, we're trying to get into the Olympics. and uh, But the reality yeah, is, because... I, it's, it, it's not really going to happen at, as is. Like, there, we saw what happened with karate in, in uh, Tokyo, right? I mean, I actually presented to the... Uh, yeah, the, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> I presented to the Tokyo 2020 Commission, I think it was 2015, because... Once we failed to become a, an official sport, everybody did. Wrestling got put back in, right? Then there was the 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 new kind of... I think uh, Thomas Bach uh, had it. I think it was called Agenda 2020, which was some new new rules that the IOC put in. I'm getting, I'm getting really deep into sports politics for you now. So anyway, um, Agenda 2020 was the idea that the host could include actual meddling events in an edition of the uh, olympic games and there was also the idea that they don't want to increase or decrease um, sports but they could and medal counts but they could play with those events wise so decrease some events from this sport and add a special event for this so so tokyo had the option to add a, an, a single sport as have subsequent I, uh, olympic hosts as a special right. kind of event for that that edition so karate obviously made it into tokyo 2020 i don't even know why we went through the the process of presenting to them i mean what are they going to choose wushu over karate at the Jap the olympics being held in japan uh, uh, yeah in, in tokyo yeah exactly but i mean some of the like i watched some of the karate i don't know did you do you manage to watch some of it i did yeah so they have they have a forms comp a kata competition yeah which which is bizarre to someone who doesn't do karate, um, you know, you compare it to the wushu forms, which mm. are spectacular. I couldn't do that in a million years. You know, I got no way of approaching that. Yeah. And then the kata forms are, are, are sort of slow and um, not as athletic. Yeah. Um, that that's that's confusing. And then also they had the sparring, which I I quite enjoyed some of the sparring. I, I quite liked it. Um, but they had the ridiculous situation where. Uh, Tarek Hamadi the South, was about to win Saudi Arabia's first gold medal and he kicked his opponent too hard, knocked him out and they disqualified him. I saw. So that, that's got everyone up in arms. <laughs> I'll, I'll be frank with you. I've, I've, uh, I've, one of the reasons and my departure from the International Federation was a clash in terms of many things. But the key clash for me was the direction the sport was going, the problems that it had, and the overall idea of what it should be doing for the future. Um, there are just too many issues there that I was trying to, in some ways, pull back to some semblance of uh, sanity. Because, I mean, as an outside viewer, you've just kind of said a, a few things that are quite pertinent. One, it's spectacular to watch wushu forms, right? Um, mm. So... There's that. And then the other side that you said was you could never do that. Well, most people can't do that. Right. So. So. Mm. But the, how many people are doing Chinese martial arts on the planet? And 
are we really representing the actual Chinese martial arts or have we taken the name Wushu and invented something that is so far out there? That <laughs> and, and that is a problem. So for me, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah. how do you pull it back? Right. And, and, and karate in some senses actually has that. They, they, they've mm. always had that. They have a much better structure in that regard. And actually, I looked at their structure and, and uh, their format as a really good example of generally how a martial art could run a sport. So, mm-hmm. karate has kata and kumite, obviously. But the, the kata, even though one could argue from a traditional point of view, a lot of the expression, timing... There's a lot of drama in the way that they do their kata. There's, yeah. there's a lot very of showmanship. Theatrical. Yeah, there's a lot of showmanship. But from a very pr- like primitive point of view, the athletes are doing karate. I mean, whether you want to admit it or not, but uh, we could argue about semantics. I'm not a karate expert. But they have a list of kata that they're allowed to choose from, right? Yeah. And those lists of kata are agreed by the, the, the powers that be as representative kata forms from the different styles of karate and uh, you know it's something that you could somewhat as a late karate person or a hobbyist identify you know oh i know that form yeah. you know it's, she's doing it slightly differently but in general that's the form well you can't do that with I mean, wushu no you can't but i mean as, as a cultural thing yes karate absolutely it's it's got its own culture and it's presenting something cultural but but is that a sport? Yeah. That's the so, question I'd have. The second issue, and this has been a long time in the making, it's somebody like myself who's gone through the process of being an athlete, doing wushu, taolu, being in love with it while I was young, uh, destroying my knees through training, you know, um, having knee, three, <laughs> three knee surgeries. Uh, you know, And then starting jiu-jitsu. I mean, most yeah. people have their knee surgeries after starting <laughs> jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah true um but you know i kind of came full circle back to where i started because i started with traditional chinese martial arts and came back to traditional chinese martial arts with different eyes Mm. though you know with completely different eyes Mm. and realizing well you know this is something really special and it's kind of not there it's not in the sports side of things it's not in wushu anymore so you know it's it's a very hard balance but through my experience Honestly, between you and me and uh, whoever's listening, I don't think... No, no one's per- listening. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't think performance performance of any sport should be a competitive thing. I mean, it's, very, it's so subjective. Definitely with the martial yeah. arts. It's so yeah. hard to do that fairly and in a way that's going to be healthy for a long time. You know, that, that doesn't be- get corrupted through the nature of human beings and the nature of okay now you're an olympic sport you know there's gonna be it's it's you're gonna have the same problems that almost every martial art does in the olympics if you're gonna do performance-based medals you know so Mm. it becomes something totally different to the original outset the whole um the spirit and the the drive behind what you're doing changes, then the art will change, then people will find ways to manipulate it left, right and center. So it becomes not to say that you can't do that with combat, but it's a lot less, it's a lot more difficult to do that with a combat event, you know, it's more, it's it's normally more definitive combat, isn't it? Where you can tell who won. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, um, unless it's Karate Kumite, in which case, the guy well, that's unconscious actually won. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the funny. The funny thing about about um, like I mean, I started with karate as well when I was young. My 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 family has a strong karate background, and uh, mm. the I don't know if you've seen the older JKA sparring formats like from the eighties and, and and things like yes, that. Yes. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. So, yeah, well, they were knocking each other out more, from what I could see. I mean, on paper, they're supposed to be controlled, you know, and it's bare knuckle, but they're supposed to be controlled. But they were literally, they, that was very martial. That was very, yeah, yeah. it was very, yeah, it was. they need to go back to something like that, you know, and Well, they I have got a combat karate format now that's, right. that's doing competitions. I um, saw that. Yeah, I, saw I don't that. know if they're any good or, or what, I, don't, I haven't really watched much of it, so... I don't know. Well, you, you know, we're living in the age post UFC one. It's going to be very hard well, now. It's going to be very hard yeah. now. Yeah. I guess the, the problem is once you once they do it like a, a more, more. I don't want to say more martial form mm. of karate combat, but if they're allowing harder strikes, you know, and and punches and kicks to the head, then why don't you just do MMA? Is the, the exactly. question that pops up. Exactly. What so makes this karate anymore? So this is the issue now, right? I mean, you like I said, you can block out the sun only for so long before okay, it becomes a fruitless effort. And this is the this idea of going full circle is really what's happened with with MMA on whether people I don't like the culture of MMA. For me a lot of the 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 personalities, the demeanor, etc. It's not how I would do mm. I, I would conduct myself. It is what it is, but that aside, the actual format of MMA is kind of coming full circle to what we had way back in ancient Greece, and maybe they had, maybe there were people that had the same conversation we we just had about, you know, <laughs> you know how are we going to make this combat sport? And this guy's performance is it's all fluff, and I don't think he can fight. And no, but this guy, you yeah, know, yeah. if the if the rules allowed me to choke you on the floor, I'd kill you. And your rules only allow me to do boxing, so that's all right. So let's make an event where we can do everything. And once mm. you've done once you've done that, it's very hard to say. Well, I'm gonna do a toned down version and be entertained and and find a purpose in it. It's very hard. So I I don't yeah, know what the answer um, is. It reminds me a lot of that. Um, is it combat jujitsu where they allow you to slap each other? Yeah. At the same time as rolling, and to yeah. me, it just looks ridiculous. I mean, it it I I just don't get it. Well, didn't didn't the Grace the Gracies didn't do some gimped out version of. Uh, of combat in Brazil, they they trained jujitsu and then they entered Vale Tudo, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I think as time goes on, the 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 inclination is to is to drift towards more freedom in combat, where anything goes, you know, and uh, obviously within safety concerns and restraints. But for the most part, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to, people are gonna are gonna tend to want to go towards a, a format that allows you to do whatever. And then we can we can all just compete on this equal playing field. You can come from karate. I can come from sambo. This guy can come from boxing. If you've got the goods, you're going to win. If you don't have the goods, you're going to lose. That's it. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could argue that it's it's hard to get into MMA if you're... Say you're a Wing Chun guy and you mm. you want to represent Wing Chun in MMA. Like, yeah. it's, you're going you're gonna to struggle to find a promoter who will let you do that because... 
you're, well, maybe you're going to go into the ring and not be exciting because you're not going to be doing flying side kicks. You're not going to be, you know, doing all the things they're looking for. I think it, I don't, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think the, the odds are stacked against you doing that type of thing. They, they, they you know, they, they tend to check out the competitors before they let them in the ring. And if they don't look a certain way, I, I guess they don't get the chance. I think it depends. I think there's a lot of amateur organizations that just kind of, if you want to fight, you fight, you know? So, um, and if you, if you win, you're going to, you're going to, they're going to keep you, you're going to keep fighting. They're going to keep allowing you to fight. Yeah. I mean, if if you start winning using say Wing Chun, then people are obviously going to, you're going to build a reputation and it would grow in a sort of a grassroots way, wouldn't it? Mm. But I don't know. I don't know. I just don't think it's this completely open playing field. I think it's harder to, to get into it if you wanted to be like a judo specialist or a or something else, you know. Mm. Um, people get recommended by their coaches to go into these competitions. And, um, you know, if, if a judo guy goes in and doesn't throw a single kick and then gets his leg kicked a bit, someone's got to come back and go, well, why did you send me that guy? He can't even kick. You know, and then <laughs> you, you might end up in that sort of conversation. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it could be. It, it could but like be. you say, it, it's it's the, it's the best format we've ever had, really, for yeah. like a, a you know a, as limited rules as possible sort of competition. Right. Although they do need to sort out the gloves, I think, with the eye pokes. That's well, yeah, they're, becoming they're, a problem. Well, you're always going to have that that give and take, that yin and yang there between having unrestrictive gloves and having eye pokes and other yeah. other safety issues. Yeah, exactly. And also, because there are rules, people play within the rules, you know, whereas you, you don't get immediately disqualified for an eye poke, so you can probably do a couple mm. <laughs> and get away with it, you know. I mean, yeah. even some of the big names, uh, no, like, you know, John Jones was... I mean, he's still fighting technically, but he hasn't fought for a while. But he was just notorious for, you know, there'd be at least one eye poke at some point in one of his fights. Always. Um, Always. Yeah. I bet you the the guys that claim super secret techniques along with eye pokes and groin groin strikes are, are loving this part of the conversation. So <laughs> we've been doing this for years. Yeah. <laughs> you see, it's deadly. It's deadly. <laughs> yeah. It's deadly when the other guy isn't isn't expecting you to do them. Well that's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the key thing, isn't it? Yeah, the the issue is I mean, there's a lot of things that are going to change and there's a lot of things that are going to, people are going to object to and they're going to say it's limiting or whatever, even down to the fact that rounds exist and, and then people learn to train for maximum efficacy within rounds and that format. And yeah, one could, one that made, yeah. made jiu-jitsu very hard to do, didn't it? To get submissions well, within a five-minute exactly, round. Exactly. So one side will say it's good one side will say it's it's limiting their ability to use their skills so look you're not going to you're not going to make everyone happy unless we just say right you two fight until one of you's dead you know um and and we can't do that <laughs> we can't do that so. i don't really yeah, nobody wants to see that either i mean yeah. I, I i'm i like mma on one hand on the other hand i'm kind of revolted by it especially when it ends up in a complete beatdown and the referee is slow stopping the fight yeah you know and, you, and you're watching someone just you know they, they went unconscious already and they're still being hit yeah. all that kind of stuff is and like you say the culture of it like the conor mcgregor sort of shouting out at people being very disrespectful but then at the same time you get those 
you get certain characters within MMA who, yeah. you know, just seem to exhibit martial virtue in a way that um, a lot of other people talk about but don't actually do. GSP. Know. Yeah. Like GSP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I look, yeah, I... He, you know, he never slagged anyone off or anything, did he? No, he didn't. And he always conducted himself very honorably. But did he make as much money as Conor McGregor? So this is the problem that we have, you know? So... Mm. And, that, and that's partially the same reason and the this is it's connected but it's not connected it's sports in the olympics so uh the prestige and the money and all of the things that happen as they get to become olympic sports but then they have to abide by certain uh, required outcomes etc and change their sports so you know these kind of things always yes. impede and change things so yeah i mean nobody likes what being olympic did to judo do they but yeah you're not allowed to grab the 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 pants at all now so that's all the traditional wrestling type moves of single legs and double legs are all banned right um and now those don't get taught in judo clubs or, or they do get taught in some but obviously yeah. they're not emphasized anymore and eventually over time they'll just slip away well um, i don't know if you heard that uh, muay thai just got officially full recognition from the ioc this happened now oh at, did it uh, at the oh, session wow. in Tokyo. <laughs> that's gonna so, make taekwondo look bad isn't it <laughs> Well, this is the issue. Like, what's going to happen to Muay Thai as they start to become more Olympic? And if they get into the Olympics, what will happen to them too, you know? So there's all of these things that... Can you imagine the IOC allowing Thai, thai rules with elbows and people getting bloodied up like that with cuts all over them? No, I, I highly doubt it. I can't imagine it. blood, no. So, no. so if the prestige of getting an Olympic gold medal means that that all changes, which changes the way that you're training, is Thai... Muay Thai going to stay the same? Are people still going to focus on, on, on Thai boxing the, the way that they they used to? Or are they going to just simply change to, to become Olympic champions? You know, all of these things have an effect. All of these things have yeah. an effect. It's one of the reasons I really don't want Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to ever get into the Olympics. Because can you imagine what they'll do to it? Who knows? Who knows what, what one thing happen. I thought was, they, you know, Judo has a time limit for not being allowed to be on the floor you know you get yeah. stood up after so many seconds i it, i can imagine if brazilian jiu-jitsu got into the olympics they'd swap it around so you can't stand up for more than like you know 20 seconds uh, and try for takedowns you've got 20 seconds to try for takedowns and you both have to sit down <laughs> to be the butt the, <laughs> be... <laughs> the butt scooting world championships <laughs> exactly it'll just turn into a butt scooting uh competition it'll yeah just be crazy yeah <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. for me, I mean, martial arts has always been a personal thing, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to slate competition because I find value in the the grinding iron against iron. But at the same time, there are problems if you get overtly, you know, invested in that. So, you know, this is this is the the balance that people have to have to maintain with your martial art training. I do think, though, with Chinese martial arts, whether it's, uh, you know, big competitions or just within schools, there are avenues to do combat formats that aim at developing students, you know, and uh, developing their martial skills. And you don't, you don't necessarily need a world body for that. You know, you really don't. You, you, mm. So, and for me, that's the value. And that's, that's, that's what I see as a true uh it's something that your students will truly benefit from even if it's just within your school or with a couple of schools that you you develop these formats that that help your students to develop 
real applicable skills, then that's great. You know, Olympics, Schmolympics, whatever. I don't really care. So, yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I think we've come to a natural conclusion to our little talk. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about your training, if I could, for a couple of seconds. What do you focus most of your time yeah. on these days? My personal training is all Chinese. So, um, <laughs> yeah. hate to say it, but Qigong. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, in the morning, I'll do my Patuan Chin, mm-hmm. uh, Jam Jong, that kind of stuff. And then I do the Tai Chi form three times. And then I normally pick something out of Shingi, like an animal. Okay. Um, I really enjoy monkey. Um, so Really? I do that. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. <laughs> I mean, there's aspects um, of like- monkey that I like. I really like the, the savageness and the brutality of monkey. But it's, it's never been one of the animals that I, I felt a great affinity for. It's, it's a nimble animal. Yeah. And my jiu-jitsu style is quite nimble. Ah, okay. Um, so uh, it it feels connected to me to my guard passing. So I, oh, I, I, see. I I quite like to pass guard a bit like the the Rafa Mendes style. Not that I'm anywhere near his level. Obviously, he's you know some sort of jujitsu god. But um, <laughs> the way the way he tries to the way he passes guard is hmm. he he do, he just does. It's quite fast. There's lots of bashing the legs out of the way, getting into leg drags, and yeah. quick toriandos. Um, rather than like a pressure passer, right? I quite like that approach, but I can also I'm quite bulky <laughs> for my for my height. So if I can get in on a pressure pass, I'll take it definitely. I you know, see. I'm not, I'm not going to like not do it, um, but I aspire to the nimble quickness, um, side to side. You know, trying to conf- almost confusing the person because monkey's quite tricksy, isn't it? Oh, it's it quite, is totally tricky. You know, so it's that it's that aspect, and then. For, for, so for for me, there's some sort of connection between the the sort of relaxed nimbleness of monkey and the sort of way I like to play jujitsu. Um, my my my, my jujitsu superpower, if I had one, was just is holding people down. So that's not very nimble at all. It's just pressure and changing angles so they can't get up. Right. Um, but you've got to pass guard to do that. So I've spent quite a lot of time working on um, a style that's. You know, I, I go from guard, sweep, pass guard, get oh, on top, I see. stay on top. Oh, so you prefer yeah, to? I mean, of, you're not you're not somebody who likes to attack from the guard. Um, I really love an omoplatter, but it's it's um, like my my only. Oh, everything else I do is sweeps really. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, I'm really that's comfortable. Good. I'm really comfortable sweeping and then passing guard. That's my kind of ideal sort of, I guess, uh, not format or. That's my ideal strategy. I see. I see. Yeah, monkey. I've been I've been actually writing quite a lot about monkey lately because I've been translating a whole bunch of old texts in this book for the last bloody seven years. That's still not finished. But I mean, oh, yeah. monkey. I mean, really, it is a uh, a cunning and it is very deceptive, but it's really cruel. I mean, if people if people understand mm. a lot of the the aspects of monkey, is it's a very cruel. It's a very one of Shingi's more cruel animals, uh, if we can say it that way. So, but yeah, yeah me it doesn't have any compassion, does it? <laughs> no, not at all. Really, not at all. Yeah, but for me, I, I you know, my my animals that I find the most affinity for are horse, bear, 
uh, things like that. But I guess it's different for everyone, and it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, but you're you're a sort of a fairly big guy, aren't you? Like um, you know, and you're you're well muscled, shall we say? Um, I can see you know a horse being perfect for that sort of physique. It's uh, it's and there too. It's a very good feeling when you. St- to punch somebody directly in the face with horse. I don't know. There's something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's something gratifying about it. Yeah. I've got a friend called Mike who, who really likes horse. Um, okay. And he trained a lot of Muay Thai actually recently. And he said ah. that the thing that the thing that he would catch people with in sparring was horse. You know, yeah, it would catch it. them out. Yeah. I can believe it. I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a... Look, I mean, I also think, and I've seen this with my teacher too, that as we go through life, we'll find affinity for differing animals as we ourselves get older and change and and things too. So that's the beauty, I think, of those 12 animals is that there's not only something for everyone, but there's something for every stage in your life as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, even seasonally as well, I find yeah. I do different things in cold winter months to two different things in the hot summer I mean, for me monkeys more of a it's summertime here now so it's more of a sunshiny i don't know jumping around outside type activity oh, okay all um, right yeah I th- yeah i don't know i mean i've got no logic for why it just appeals to me that way <laughs> but for sure the seasons affect you also energetically i mean i've kind of i never believed this until i i, I you know when i first started living here and and my teacher would also say to me, oh, different things affect your body in different seasons. And I'd be like, ah, you know, all this talk of uh, based on traditional Chinese medicine ideas, I never believed it until I actually started, you know, experiencing it myself. Maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know. But, you know, mm. things like they call in Chinese shanghuo. Shanghuo means that your fire is going up. Right. And they talk about oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this happening at specific times of the year. And how it manifests in your body, like whether it be, you know, pain here or a swollen gum there or something like this. And, and you know, true as Bob, over time, certain things would occur in exactly those times to me. And, uh, yeah, anyway, it's interesting. But for sure, the seasons have an effect on your body overall. So we train differently in summer, winter, spring and autumn ourselves. So, yeah, that's true. But I do find... Um for recovery from jiu-jitsu is, is the main thing. Uh, mm. Tai Chi is fantastic. Really, really good for all those sore joints and, you know, oh, all, that, for sure. all the general wear and tear that you get from training jiu-jitsu. Um, tai what? Chi really, it, I, I think it, I, I seem to do a lot better than most of my contemporaries when it comes to being mm. old and still doing jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and I th- I'm convinced it's down to the, the Chinese stuff I do. Well, I agree. I agree completely. Most of the people that don't know me when they trained with me, whether they roll with me or they trained with me in jiu-jitsu, when they actually find out my age, most of them are shocked. You know, so... Mm. Yeah, I've had that as well. And I... I, 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 I went to a seminar... But for, yeah. um, sorry. I went to a seminar with... Um, the famous guy who broke his arm with Roger Gracie. Tedere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tedere. Tedere, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, bro- he famously broke his arm and still won the match. <laughs> yeah, he ran, a- um, he, ra- he ran away with a broken arm and the time yeah, ran off. Yeah, he did run away for, ahead- the last, for the last two minutes, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, which I guess makes a mock with the rules again. But um, uh, yeah, I went to his seminar of his and there were some other black belts there and then he just made everyone roll with each other. 
and I'd kind of roll with uh, uh, like the other black belts there, and um, and one of them went, "You're you're forty nine? What do you mean you're forty nine? I thought you were like thirty <laughs> five. Well, this is the thing. Haven't so, you noticed there's good. this big push now in within jujitsu, like yoga for BJJ and recovery for BJJ? And I was like, yeah, we call this all the stuff, the supplemental <laughs> stuff we do in Chinese martial arts. It's like all in one, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. It's there. And I mean, I don't do Tai Chi. I just, I, I have I've, the stuff that we do in Xingyi and Bagua. In fact, my knees were in such bad state when I first started training with my teacher that a lot of the stuff he showed me is what has rehabbed my knees up until today. And I remember um, even Andrea, you know, Andrea, my big, my big sister, she had, she had a problem with, uh, I think, sciatica or some other issues too. At some point in her life, she, because she also did sport wushu when she was in this Beijing Sports University way back when. And she also said that the circle walking healed a lot of her, her problems that she had yeah, I've heard joint that. problems. And I, I felt this myself. So, you know, this is why, apart from the fact that I love the arts of Xingyi and Bagua, that I, I, I strictly do them on a, on a very regular basis, is simply because of the benefits it's got for maintenance, health maintenance, and physical condition maintenance. So it's there. Um, and recovery, of course. Yeah. It's I've, there. Bizarrely, I've never been able to get into Bagua. I've in theory it should be exactly the sort of thing i like because i like like mm. the monkey style of chingi which is the complicated stuff mm. um i like walking around in a circle i I do, I do that you know playing i just do monkey around in a circle quite often um yeah but for some reason i've never it's it's never stuck with me you know um trying to learn backward it's just i don't i don't know what it is there's just something about it that doesn't quite click for me well, I don't it know. Might if, be because I've got, you know, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't quite agree with uh, a lot of people trying to describe Bagua as overtly complicated. It isn't actually overtly complicated. I mean, there might mm. be aspects of the system that seem to be, you know, uh, highly. There's a lot of movements and things going on, but really, the the core. For example, I do Liang Sao Bagua. The core of our system would be called Dingshir Bajang, which are the eight fixed posture palms. So that's eight orientations or, you know, positions that you hold with your upper body and you walk the circle. Um, and you do that on both in both directions. But that's like, that's like Santi Shir with stepping, right? So uh, that's fixed. And for me, I find that really develops uh, a lot of aspects that are required in the body. And then the next thing, of course, is Lao Bajang, which are the eight mother palms. And they're not overtly complicated either. I mean, okay, they're not as simple as Pi Chuan, Zuan Chuan, Bung Chuan in terms of just one, 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 one. They're sometimes a little yeah, bit yeah, more yeah. complicated. But I remember even the older generation, my teacher's, my teacher's generation and what he would say from Li Ziming. Li Ziming would say, you have to do the static palms and the mother palms. You can... You can kind of ignore the other stuff if you don't have time every day but the static palms and the mother palms and you'll get almost everything that you need to out of out of bagua and that's true um so if you're seeing six million techniques as the heart of bagua um, honestly that's not it and uh, for me that's definitely not, not not my experience i was i was thinking more about the the spirally circular nature of things rather than the the number of techniques like the right 
you know, the, the sort of complex 3D movement. Um, right, right. Because you know, there's turning, there's spiraling, and then there's turning back, and then round again. And I mean, it looks sure. beautiful. I really, I really, I really like, I really like the aesthetic of it. I mean, it does definitely appeal to me. But for some reason, I've never, I've never gravitated towards it. And I think it's mm-hmm. because I've got the Tai Chi on one side, and I've got the Chingi on the other, and Bagba looks like a bit of bit of both, sort of both things. Mm. And I, every time I try and do it, I kind of think, well, I could just, could just be doing Tai Chi or I could just be doing Shingi, you know. Um, sure. And like everyone else, I've got I've got a job and Jiu-Jitsu to do at the same time. And it's all it's all just too much. Really. There's only so many things you can fit in your life, really. Stop <laughs> sleeping. What's wrong with you? Yeah. I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, possibly it could be because you do Tai Chi too and there might be a lot of overlap there. Um, so I suppose that that's probably it. But yeah, I found there's certain things in Bagua that we don't do in, in Xingyi, although then you find that you do do them, but in different ways, but they're just emphasized differently. Mm. Like with Bagua, yeah, we're, we're really twisting the root. I mean, it's, um, and when I say the root, I don't just mean your feet. I mean, even the root of each limb. And uh, if I could describe, if I could describe Bagua in a very simplistic way, it would be that basis of twisting the root as much as possible, you know, and and then maintaining certain yeah. things from there. So, yeah, yeah, I could see how that that might be because of your Taiji practice that you, you see it kind of obsolete. Yeah, maybe, but Taiji is is not particularly twisty in that way. No, 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 it's not. I mean that aspect, no. So, but other aspects possibly, uh, other aspects possibly. What style of Taiji mm. do you do? You do Yang style, right? It's a Yang style, but it's not the Yang Sheng Fu Yang style. It's uh, the one that comes from uh, Kyu Chang, okay. who taught it in Hong Kong. So it's come out of Hong Kong, and it's it had some influence from Sun Lu Tang. Um, right. A lot of people used to think it was Sun style before. You know, before Sun style was widely accessible, mm. people thought this version of Yang was Sun style because. Sun Lutang was kind of involved with Ku Chang in its creation. But yeah. it's not Sun style. It's definitely it's Yang style, but there are bits where we put the feet together like you do in Sun style. Okay. So there's it's got it, it's it's sort of halfway between Yang Cheng Fu and uh Sun style. Which look which are very different styles. So if you imagine halfway between, you've got it basically looks like Yang style, but there's a lot of postures where we step up. Like okay, so you do a following step. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not necessarily on the strikes. Uh, the, the strikes are still kind of like in a bow stance, but like in brush knee, where the hands yeah. uh, kind of go backwards in two circles before you do the push, as our hands go backwards in two circles, we step up the following step, and then we step uh, again to do the push. brush knee and push. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So so it's it's got nimble footwork, and but it also has all the kind of classic yang style postures in it it's not as large frame as as um yang cheng fu style so we don't have a really long stance it's just sort of medium so you think that that stepping method was because of the influence or some influence from sun lutang or xingyi i think it's probably from sun lutang's tai chi style because his tai chi style was it's very no it's very follow step based yeah um I don't. I don't detect any Shingi influence in our Yang in the, in the Tai Chi form, really. I see. Um, it it definitely feels more like Sun Lutang had an influence on a Yang style. 
Right, right. Um, it, it's meant to have, in the lineage is meant to have come from Cheng Fu's father. Mm. So it was uh, Yang Jinhao who taught. Who's the Wudang sword guy? Oh, Li Jingling. Li Jingling, yes. So, yeah. so Yang Jinhao teaches Li Jingling, who then teaches Ku Yu Chang and Sun Lu Tang, and they all it, at this point it all becomes part of that Koshu movement, and they all they're all sort of teaching together, yeah, as a group. And they're all right. influencing each other, and it comes out of that. Yeah, you know it's interesting. So it's hard to say exactly whose it is. <laughs> you know, I I spoke to when I look at Sun Lu Tang's Sun style Tai Chi, I, I heavily see that it's like influenced by his Xingyi background. And um, but I went down to uh, Guangfu, Guangping. You know what they call Guang, where Guangping Tai Chi yeah. comes from, yeah. etc. And I went. Down, that's Yang Lu Chan's hometown. Um, Mm-hmm. But I went to go visit Wu style people there, and um, you know Sun Lutang learned Wu style um, before he created his mm. his his Sun Sun style Taiji. And okay, it was a short period of time, but I mean he was quite a quite a well developed martial artist by that point. So when I looked at it, I yes. I always thought you know he's just kind of made Taiji based on Xing Yi. But when I spoke to um, a few Wu style people. They would show me the Wu style equivalent of a lot of the techniques that uh, are in the Sun style form, and you can see that it's a direct connection to that to that for a, a yeah. very big part. So uh, even that follow steps there in the Wu style, yeah, um, it's it's hard to say that he got it out of Xing Yi really because it was already there. Mm. Um, and so maybe the follow step in our style was what was there before Yang Cheng Fu took it out. Who knows? I mean, yeah, it's exactly. just impossible to say. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe Sun Tang put it back in. It's impossible to know, isn't it? <laughs> That's exactly it. So, you know, me looking at it with my Xingyi eyes, you know, I'm quick to judge. But when, when I spoke to those Wu style people and then they showed me like from Wu style without without Sun Tang, it's got those many of those aspects already existing there. So it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And um, our, our Tai Chi style. So I got my... Tai Chi style from my, my Sifu, Sifu Raymond Rand, who learned from Master Lam Kam Chuan, mm. who did the TV series Done Like a Tree um, back in the ah. 90s, I think. Um, so he had a little... It's on YouTube now. You can... Oh, is um, it? You can watch the... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually really good. Yeah, okay, um, I'll watch it's it. Just now ba- that it's basic, on YouTube. Basic Jam Jong, you know. And it, but he's quite... His attitude so encouraging. Like, he, he's like, don't just sit to watch. Get up and try it. You know, just stand. <laughs> You know, it's, it's all it's all like that. Um, I mean, you know, my my teacher tells me stories of training with him back in the eighties, and it was it was like it was hardcore martial arts. But he's so he's so lovely and friendly on this, you know, in his modern sort of um, you know versions of these things. Um, but yeah, it was it was like you know they used to put they used to do heavy combat training. I used to make right. them train staff uh, pole um, with no protective gear. And you just Ooh. imagine being hit on your knuckles repeatedly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was wear... thinking. I was just thinking yeah. they're, you're not, they're poor fingers. You're not allowed fingers. to wear gloves. <laughs> yeah. So there was no gloves, yeah. no helmets, yeah. no eye protection, nothing. And it was like, oh, my goodness. It just sounds horrendous. Um, <laughs> he's told me lots of stories about, you know. Um, and then there was, there was fighting outside Chinese supermarkets at night and then people betting on it and all that kind of stuff, you know. Different schools would fight each other. Nice, um, you know, and that was that was like no rules, no rules really. Yeah, um, yeah, but um, 
yeah, so it it's it was sort of like a really martial collection of arts that um, I learned. They were it was Tai Chi, but it was like on the martial side of Tai Chi. And we also we also obviously it wasn't just Tai Chi. There's all sorts of other stuff sort of mixed in. There's Choi Fut. Um, oh wow! Which yeah, boxing Choi Fut. Um, um, I just get a message from my wife saying, "Your son is hungry," because I'm sitting in the dining room. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I so mean, we might have to wrap up. Right, sure. I mean, it's 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 going on longer than I thought you wanted it to go on. In any case, and uh, we don't want your son, <laughs> we don't want your son to be hungry, and I don't want your wife to single whip you either. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm in the doghouse now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we can do this again. I mean, this was good. It was good to to chat. Yeah. Yeah, like, so. yeah, we could uh, we could pick some more subjects for next time. We we did want to one day have a discussion about the difference or the 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 area between style and format. So maybe we can do that one day. Yeah, that sounds a bit more academic, doesn't it? But uh, yeah. we can have a debate about when does style become a style. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay, good. We'll, we'll do that. Okay, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thanks, thank you. Thanks for, for doing it, Byron. No problem. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com. You can support us by giving our podcast a positive review on iTunes and our page a like on Facebook. Just search for The Tai Chi Notebook to find us. Until next time, enjoy your training.